Father, I want to just pause a minute here in word to, to continue to worship you and thank you for the great privilege that the God we worship today in song and in presence with instruments in prayer and study of your word. Lord, you are the same God today as the God we read about in your word. Old Testament, New Testament. We don't have to stand here today and say, I wonder what has changed about God today. We praise you as the rock. We praise you as our refuge. We praise you for your faithfulness. We exalt you. We lift you up. We look to you. We want to hear from you. We worship you as king. Thank you, Father, that you've come to us through Jesus. And Jesus, we exalt you today as a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. And we look forward to your return. We thank you for the great promise of your word that to live is Christ, to die is gain. And our greatest enemies are defeated by you, King Jesus. Please capture our attention, our hearts, our minds today. Let us hear from your words. We worship you and walk out of this place encouraged, full of joy, walking in the Spirit, being a bright light for your name, Jesus, wherever we go. We offer this to you as praise, as worship, and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. Many today will be traveling. Many already traveling. Welcome to the remnant that remains. We... We put online every week a message. It's usually there online for people to be able to see by 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sundays and available throughout the week. And I just want to say to those that maybe are uh, watching today, uh, watching this week, that um, it might help. If they're watching the message, or if you're watching the message, to find a way to listen to holy, 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 and same God, and then listen to this message today from Psalm 99. I want to dedicate this song that we call Psalm 99 to all the middle children of the world. As they say with incorrect grammar, I are one. I am a middle child. My wife is a middle child. I have an older brother and a younger sister. And we all, middle children, we all have issues. All right. So. 
Why Psalm 99 dedicated to middle children? I was reading this week thinking about Psalm 99 and walking, and I thought, you know what? This is a middle child psalm. And I think about it that way because Psalm 99 is sandwiched between uh, Psalm 98 and Psalm 100. Uh, Psalm 99 is easily run over by the pure praise of 98. And Psalm 99 lives in the shadow of the popularity of Psalm 100. Many a poster has been made with Psalm 98 on it. And many hearts have memorized Psalm 100. But there in between that pure praise of Psalm 98 and the popularity of Psalm 100 rest Psalm 99. And I want to declare to you today that Psalm 99 has something to say to And I want to weave together a story from Psalm 99 that shows one invitation, two scenes, and three takeaways. Look at Psalm 99 with me. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 99, nine verses. There is here one invitation. There is one major invitation through this song, through this psalm. This song, this psalm would have been used for corporate worship as the people came together to give honor and praise to the Lord. And the singular invitation that comes through in these nine verses is this. Worship the Lord our God because he is holy. Worship the Lord our God because he is holy. And today we're invited, just still hundreds of years later since this psalm was a new song, we have this invitation as well through God's word to worship him. To worship him because he is holy. Now the word holy is 
unlike any other word. The word holy is a word that is admittedly hard to define. Another one of those words we use often in our conversations in church. We, we hear the word, we sing the word, we address God as holy. Holy is a, a word that in its most literal sense means separate, uh, set apart, uh, different. The word holy referring to God means that he is wholly different in his entirety. Every attribute that you can identify God by, he is the most perfect sense of that word. His holiness is what sets him apart from every other God that the world might claim to worship. And we are invited to worship him as a unique, different, set-apart God. Have you ever been in the presence of someone that made you tremble? Uh, made you shake a little bit? You could feel your heart racing just to be in their presence. I bet there's somebody in this room that you've been to a concert before. And when you saw them on stage. Or maybe you took a trip. And you turned the corner and unexpectedly that person there they were. It made you just shake a little bit. There's one moment years ago in Atlanta, Georgia. We're there for the Southern Baptist Convention and Billy Graham was scheduled to speak. At that time, it was advertised as perhaps being his last public uh, speaking engagement because of his failing health. He rallied after that and he was uh, very much in involved in ministry and speaking after that. It was not his last time, but it was certainly uh, he had the appearance and the story leading up to those days that it might be his last public appearance. And we sat there in uh, that arena in Atlanta waiting to hear Billy Graham speak. And we began to notice that time was passing and there was lots of whispering on stage. And he came and told us in the room that uh, there was complications in getting him there. And uh, just wait a few more minutes, and we waited about 15 minutes. And there was singing, there was quietness as time passed. And then we just sat. And then you heard the room begin to stir because there was an opening in the curtains on the side of the platform. And people caught a glimpse in the room almost at the same time when Billy Graham walked past that opening of the curtain and you could see him coming around, headed toward the stage, and the room just rose to their feet. And I remember that moment, even describing it right now, I got chills. It was just one of the most powerful moments of being in the presence of a human that I'd been before. And I, if, if, he had walked, if he had said something to me on that stage, like if he had just said, Carlos, 
I would have just probably passed out right there in the room. And I would have been um, probably accused of being slain in the spirit or something like that. It was a, it, it was, uh, a trembling moment. Now, you know and I know what I'm describing to you is the presence of a human man who is now dead, physically uh, buried. I wish there was some way we could just take a simple comparison like that and somehow in our finiteness imagine this incredible opportunity that we have, this amazing invitation that you and I have to worship a holy God. Spirit of God, help us. It's the one invitation. What we're doing today in this room is us corporately coming together to respond to this invitation of worshiping our holy God. These verses in Psalm 99 says, let the people tremble, let the earth quake. Verse 3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Verse 5, exalt the Lord, worship at his footstool. Verse 9, exalt the Lord and worship at his holy mountain. The invitation is to you and it is to me to worship our holy God. Now there are two scenes. Psalm 99 breaks out, you can divide it out into two separate scenes. The first scene is powerful and intimidating. It flows along this line of what I am describing to you here of His holiness. Three times in this psalm, God is declared to be holy. Verse 3 ends with, holy is He. Verse 5 ends with, holy is He. And then verse 9 ends with, for the Lord our God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, the Old Testament book of Revelation, I mean the New Testament book of Revelation, the declaration around the throne is this description of this attribute about God. Holy, holy, holy. There's no other attribute of God that is spoken of three times like that. There's nowhere in Scripture that we have love, 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 or faithful, faithful, faithful. But it is this attribute of our God. He is holy, holy, holy. And the scene that we see here in the first five verses of Psalm 99 is one that is powerful and intimidating. Listen again to those words. The Lord reigns, a picture of his kingship, a picture of his authority. It is a description of God past, present, and future. It's not he did reign or he is reigning or he will reign. It's all three together. The Lord reigns. And what do we do? Tremble. The expectation is that he, he reigns in a way that would move us to tremble before him. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. What is the correct response? The earthquakes. That's an intimidating scene. A powerful scene. The Lord is great. Listen to these words that are just piled on top of each other by the psalm writer. He's exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise 
you are great, just again, reaching for words, your great and awesome name. And then verse 4, the king in his might, you see his power, he loves justice, he's established equity. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. This scene of worship before the Lord is powerful and intimidating. It, you take the attributes of God, see them piled up on each other, and the right response is for us to tremble before him, to quake before him, to recognize him as great and awesome. But there's a second scene. The first scene is powerful and intimidating. The second scene is personal and intimate. And listen, one does not give way to the other. But they they, they exist together. And the beautiful picture of Psalm 99 is that there is worship by those who look to God that is a response to one who is powerful and intimidating. But there is also from verse 6 to verse 9 this picture of worship that is personal and intimate. And that is, that is a privilege for us that is hard to grasp and explain. That a God that is powerful and intimidating is also a God at the same time that would allow us to have a personal and intimate relationship with him that's the God we worship twice the phrase verse 3 and then in verse 5 it is the simple statement of his holiness holy is he there's something about the wording of that to me that just seems stark it, it, it seems abrupt. It seems like a declaration of one who is powerful and we should be intimidated by. But notice how the psalm ends. You would think that it might end. You, you would want to predict that holy is he in verse 3, holy is he in verse 5, and then verse 9 would end if it just was real smooth again with holy is he. But how does the psalm end? The psalm ends with this phrase. For the Lord, our God, is holy. And it's a three-letter word with enormous weight that reminds us that this God that is holy, for us today, through his son Jesus Christ, is also our God. this powerful and intimidating God makes a way for us to have a personal and intimate relationship with him look how it begins to shift from verse 5 it heads into verse 6 and personal names begin to be used and personal stories and accounts that you can go and find in scripture these stories look verse 6 says Moses and Aaron were among his priests 
Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. It is, a, it is a reminder to us that this God who is holy in heaven that rules on his throne that is there among the cherubim is also a God that can be known by persons. By people who, human like us, Moses, Aaron, Samuel, they were his priests. Now, their, their work as priests were to be mediators between the people and God. And they would stand between God and the people. Standing in between his wrath and his judgment, they would intercede for the people. Now, the glorious news, according to the New Testament book of Hebrews, is that the great high priest has come, and today there is only one mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ. And therefore, you and I, when we pray, just a moment ago, when I said, I pray in the name of Jesus, it's not just meant to be a habit for us. It's not just a way to get out of a prayer. When we pray in the name of Jesus, what we're saying is, God, we are talking to you, coming to you through one mediator as a saint, through the high priest who died once and for all to make a way for me to be in personal relationship with you. I'm talking to you through him. And you see the name Moses, and if you've been around church, you would have stories of what Moses did and stories of what Aaron did and stories of what Samuel did. And the, the, scripture, the description that's given of them is that they called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. And it's, it is a level of personal relationship to talk to someone. It is another level of personal relationship for the one that you talk to to talk back to you. To answer to you. I mean, you, you probably have some numbers of some people in your phone today that you could, hey, I can text him. So that's pretty personal. Did they text you back? Well, no, they never text back. You would think, well, how close are you? But if you send that text and then in a moment they text, see, just got this text back. Wow, y'all are tight. It, there's, the, there's the description here. He said, Moses, Aaron, Samuel, they called on the Lord, and it is a great truth that God answered them back. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimon testimonies and the statute that he gave them. But he goes further, verse 8, O Lord our God, you answered them. He states it again. You were a forgiving God to them but an avenger of their wrongdoings. And in this personal, intimate relationship of their God, our God, you see Moses and Aaron and Samuel calling on the Lord and the Lord hearing them, and God describes them as people in need of forgiveness. And it reminds us that Moses and Aaron and Samuel and the children of Israel are people like us. We too need forgiveness. And at the same time that God was a forgiving God, you see this holiness of God that as, just as he can be forgiving, at the same time he can be avenging. 
He could do both. God could distribute his grace and his judgment at the same time in the right way. What a God. And he can judge our sin, but in judging our sin, he also offers to us grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his holy mountain. Both scenes are where we worship. Today in this room, we do, there could be someone in this room, I just think there ought to be more reverence before God. We should, we almost, we should tremble and shake, just a, a high value of the awesomeness of God. And we can do that, but here's the thing. What works together is both of these. Somehow, some way in our relationship with him that we worship him as powerful and intimidating, but at the same time, worship him as personal and with intimacy. What a privilege. So let me give you now three takeaways today from a psalm that shows us power and intimidation, but also personal and intimate worship. How do we respond to Psalm 99? Three takeaways. Number one, call on the Lord for his help. I don't know all that went into the decision of you being in this room today, maybe with friends, maybe with family, maybe here for the very first time. Um, maybe there's no other place you would ever be than right here on a Sunday. I say to you, I believe God has Psalm 99 sandwiched in between Psalm 98 and Psalm 100 on this summer Sunday, the first Sunday of July, to say to somebody in this room, you need to call on the Lord for help. And the load that you're carrying, the burden that you're carrying, the need that you have is not too big for God, it's not too small for God, you're not bothering God, you're not overwhelming God. He has given to you an invitation to worship him, to come into his presence, to be there in view of his power, but also in an intimate relationship. Three times these verses call and answer, call and he will answer, call and he will answer. Some of you need to call on the Lord to save you today. I mentioned Jesus today who died as the great high priest. He went to the Lord on our behalf. He went to God on our behalf. Trust him today. Believe in him today. Call out to him to save you today. Others of you, you've trusted Christ already as your Lord and Savior. And, and today's message is a call to you to come to him in prayer. What changes in your life today if God answers your prayers? What changes in this world today if God answers your prayers? You, maybe you feel heavy about where our world is or where our town is or our community is. What would change if you didn't just feel heavy about it, but you felt heavy enough about it to call on the Lord for that, to ask him to do something? Moses, Aaron, Samuel, they called on him and he answered them had this here with me a few weeks ago it's my black and red and it's pretty much just where I keep my life in print I, have, I won't take the time today but in the first seven pages are just 
where I mark what I pray for on certain days. And as I turn these pages, what I have now since January to this date are just example after example after example where I've called on the Lord and the Lord has answered. And what, a, what, a, what, a, what an amazing thing God does. I, um, right in the front of this red and black, it's got a page here that says objectives and a list where you can just write your objectives down, okay? There's a quote by St. Francis of Assisi. The quote is this, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. And at the first of the year, I was going to list out here my goals and my objectives, and I just, and, and I looked there, and I just sat there, and I wrote one word, and here was going to be my objective for 2023. It's a four-letter word. Pray. Pray. I'm standing in front of you today with testimony after testimony from God's word and from my life and I'm sure you have those treasures as well if you call on the Lord he will answer you can I get an amen he will number two commit to the Lord to be holy commit to the Lord to be holy what you see transpire in Scripture is that when, you, when it's revealed to us that God is holy, our response to that is to pursue that holiness in our life. It's 1 Peter 1 and 2. 1 Peter 1 and 2, New Testament book says, Be holy because He is holy. And doesn't that make sense? If the Holy Son of God comes to live in you, he's your life. You die to self. Your flesh is crucified. You die to self. And King Jesus is on the throne of your life. It makes sense, doesn't it, that his holiness would be what comes through in our everyday living. And the call here is for us in our day-to-day-to-day living is to be holy. And here's a, here's a great promise. If we'll commit to the Lord to be holy, he'll use us in his story for his glory. Being holy is not, don't, don't limit being holy to rule keeping. Many times when we say we need to be holy, immediately we think of rules. Do this, don't do that. Don't see holiness as just rule-keeping. See holiness as living different. Set apart for God's service. Living in a world where we're in the world, but in this world we're different. Our, our ways are different. They're unique. They're noticeable. And, and part of the, as, as much as we might want to not where our world is right now. One thing is for sure. If you live for Jesus, if you live matched to God's word in your everyday living, you're going to shine brighter today than you've ever shown before. There's an incredible opportunity for us to live in front of this world as a different kind of people, not because of rules, but because of a relationship 
with a holy God. And as we worship a holy God, one of the hopes for a, a gathering like this is that we walk into Monday different people because we've worshipped a holy, awesome, intimidating, intimate, mighty God. And it changes how we live in the week ahead. David Livingston was an explorer and a missionary in the 1800s and he was the first European to cross the continent of Africa from west to east. Many discoveries and he, he took Christ to the African continent and there came a time where he just disappeared into the continent of Africa and people have, had known of him but they wondered what happened to him listen to this story in 1869 H.M. Stanley working for the New York Herald was sent to Africa to find David Livingston and a, a different kind of journey than it would be today so H.M. Stanley goes to Africa to find David Livingston he plunged, the story goes like this, he plunged into the interior of Africa looking for him. Eventually he found him near Lake Tanyanyika. H.M. Stanley's greeting has gone down in history as the most casual on record. When he saw him, the simple words, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Livingston refused to return to civilization with Stanley, so Stanley gave him some supplies and remained with him for about five months. This was Stanley's testimony. In 1871, two years later, I went to him as, as prejudiced as the biggest atheist in London. To a reporter and correspondent such as I who had only to deal with wars and mass meetings and political gatherings, sentimental matters within, were entirely out of my province. But there came for me a long time for reflection. I was out there away from a worldly world. I saw this solitary old man there and asked myself, how on earth does he stop here? Is he cracked or what? What is it that inspires him? For months after we met, I simply found myself listening to him, wondering at the old man carrying out all that was said in the Bible, leave all things and follow me. But little by little, his sympathy for others became contagious. My sympathy was aroused, seeing his piety or his holiness, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went quietly about his business. I was converted by him, although he had not tried to do it. You see, when we commit to the Lord to be holy, without us even trying to do it, God will use us in his story for his glory. And I read that story this week and I thought if someone spent five months with me, if someone spent five hours with me, if someone spent five days with me or five weeks with me, would they be closer to Jesus or closer to the world? Commit to the Lord to be holy. And here's the third. 
Call on the Lord for his help. Commit to the Lord to be holy. And finally, commune. Commune with the Lord in humility. There is no room for pride in worship of our almighty God. The only way we can approach a holy, intimidating, personal, intimate, powerful God is in humility. He is above us. He is greater than us. He calls the shots. He determines. He rules. He reigns. We submit to him. He's sovereign. We tremble before him. He's exalted over us. And we come to him to worship him in humility. There's two pictures here. He says in verse 5, exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Uh, We don't really grasp that scene probably too much. Maybe you have a chair in your house that has an ottoman and you would use it to prop your feet on. A a king would have a throne and there would be a, a, a part of the throne that was built with great ornaments and treasures, materials, and prop their feet up on that. And he's saying, you come, you don't stand in the presence of the king. You bow before him, and not just bow before him, you get at his feet, and you bow before him. It is a, it is a picture of humility in our worship. But there's also here a picture of humility in the, verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. This is a picture of being in his presence. The holy mountain was a description of where God resides. And it's that invitation to, to, of intimacy to the Lord. And in humility we come knowing that he deserves reverence. But also that he allows us to be in relationship with him through his son. And so I say to you today. You walk away. This invitation to worship a holy God. Don't miss the opportunities we have to call on him for help. To be used for his glory by living a holy life. And then in humility, worshiping before him. I mentioned Billy Graham earlier. Being intimidated by that scene. I wondered what would change that. I wish I, I, I wish I had a story that after that day, Billy Graham and I got together for lunch, and he's a great guy. You'd love knowing him. You know, I, I just that, that didn't happen. Um, but it did happen for someone. Don Wilton. Don Wilton's a, been a longtime pastor in North Carolina, and he wrote a book not too long ago, called Saturdays with Billy. In that book, he tells the story how for about 10 years, basically every Saturday, Don Wilton was invited into the life of Billy Graham, and he would go and spend a little bit of time with Billy Graham on Saturdays. Billy Graham asked him to be his pastor. And listen to this note that Don Wilton wrote about Billy Graham he said I will never fully understand why Dr. Billy Graham loved me as he did the joy of sitting at his feet for so many years 
will remain deeply embedded in my heart for the rest of my life. I am forever grateful to the Lord Jesus. Our relationship was one that grew from a personal invitation into all it became. After some 10 years of friendship, Mr. Graham asked me to be his pastor. We spent hours on end just being together. This is what friends do. Sometimes I talked and talked because he wanted me to share with him. Many times I listened and listened because he wanted to talk. Other times we said nothing. Nothing was said because nothing needed to be said between friends. We sat and ate a meal. Sometimes we took a walk and sometimes we watched television or listened to others talking. Saturdays with Billy, for the most part, took place on one piece of property, Mr. and Miss Graham's beautiful home, built on the side of a mountain overlooking a magnificent town and valley, was for me the ultimate place of worship. What a human relationship to just sit, talk, listen, watch, walk at his feet on the side of his mountain. You have the privilege of worshiping God in the same way. Ask Tim to come, and today we're going to take a few minutes to respond, to worship. Plenty of room in here today. You can move around, call on the Lord, something you're carrying. Worship Him in humility. Commit to live a holy life, something maybe needs to be different in your life today when you leave than the rest of the world. stand to our feet be open to move there's plenty of time just be obedient to the spirit let's worship
Now unto him who is able to do more than we could hope or imagine. Be all glory, honor, and power in heaven and on earth forever and ever. Amen.